Jeremy, he's going to come up and pray for us this evening as we continue to worship. Just give this time to our God. Let us pray. Kind Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is to be in your house tonight, to worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, we're about to hear your word. May we eat it like the prophet of old and taste and see that it is good. We give you liberty and freedom to search our souls, to challenge us, to take us to a place where we fall and surrender and understand that your love never gives up. I thank you. I thank you for the cross. I thank you that I've picked up my cross. I know some here today, tonight, are feeling a little discomfort with the fact that they're starting to answer their call. They don't know what this call is. They moved from a different city. They moved from a completely different environment. And some may maybe even um, fearing the fact that, can I write a paper? Exegetical what? Um, Lord, I thank you that you are in the midst of that. And uh, we just praise you for what you're going to do in the next year. In the next phase of our lives, we thank you that you're preparing our hearts to seek this world and to preach to this world the love of your son, Jesus, and the love that you have. And we thank you that your spirit provides all of that. And we just love you tonight. May your word have its freedom in our own hearts. And we pray and ask this all in Jesus' name. Well, good evening, and it is good to be in God's presence, and it's good to be loved by the Lord. Amen? All righty. Well, I'm from Tennessee, and where I come from, when the preacher says something good, you say amen, because if you don't, you'll never get out to get the chicken, okay? So there you go. Very good. You catch on. We got a good group of students this year. You know, I was thinking as we were singing about how much God loves us and realized that uh, some of you in this first week of school facing these new things may be tempted to wonder, have I done the right thing? Can I just remind you, God's too wise to be mistaken. God's too loving to be unkind. You're here because a loving God has called you here. And good news, faithful is he who called you, who will also bring to pass what he has called you for. And that's one of the things I want us to discover as we take another look at the theme for this year. Come, follow me, said Jesus, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, we've looked at this in three very unique ways already in chapel. Uh, fantastic messages that allows us to really think about Jesus and who he is and, and the call and the invitation he's bringing to us. But as I looked at this, I discovered there's something in verse 19 that would be very easy to miss. And we're going to focus on that tonight. As simple as that verse is, it'd be very easy to miss something so extremely important. So maybe you're thinking, like many of us did, that uh, kind of a feeling that's somewhat in common when people get a call from God. There's a tendency to say, well, Lord, you know I love you, and, and you know I'll, I'll do anything you ask me to do, but I think this time you got the wrong address. Anybody relate to that? <laughs> it's the Moses deal, you know. We try the Moses deal. You know, Moses tried it. Of course, it didn't work for Moses, and it didn't really work for us. But the, the problem is, is that we look at things from our perspective, but when God looks upon our lives, he's looking at us from his perspective. 
there was a fellow who really wanted to learn how to have God's perspective. So he decided that he would go to the Holy Lands and climb to the top of Mount Sinai and get on his knees and just really get in touch with God. So he does, and he's on top of Mount Sinai. He's just pouring his heart out, you know, and finally he says, Lord, I just want to be able to think like you think. I, I want a godly perspective. So, so I'm going to ask you some questions and help me to see things the way you see them. He said, for example, Lord, what does a million years look like to you? And he heard a voice from heaven say, one minute. Wow, he says. Lord, you are so awesome. Let me ask you this. Lord, what does a million dollars look like to you? And he heard this voice say, one penny. So he stopped and he thought, he said, Lord, would you give me one of your pennies? And God said, sure, in a minute. We need to have a godly perspective, don't we? You see, God calls who he wills. He knows who he's calling. He knows you better than you know yourself, and he is looking at you from his perspective, and that means God sees a potential that you don't even yet know that you have. Part of that is because he loves us so much. Well, we're still tempted to kind of say, well, yeah, okay, but I just don't really yet see what God sees. Me, a fisher of men? Well, <clears throat> I was reading a, a book called Transforming Discipleship, Making Disciples a Few at a Time by Greg Ogden. And he points out that when we look at things from man's point of view, this is probably what have happened in Jesus' day. Let's pretend for a moment that Jesus sends his list of 12 to the Jordan Management Consultant System in Jerusalem. And he just wants to know, how, how are these, you know, these 12 guys, they're my new organization. I want to know what can they do. Memo to Jesus, son of Joseph, woodcrafter, carpenter, Nazareth from Jordan Management Consultants, Jerusalem. Dear Sir, thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you've picked for management positions in your new organization. All of them have now taken our battery of tests. We have not only run the results through the computer, but also arranged personal interviews for each of them with our psychologist and vocational aptitude consultant. It is the staff opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in background, education, because they hadn't been to NBC yet, and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise that you are undertaking. They just do not really pass with the kind of results that give us the confidence to recommend them wholeheartedly. They do not have a team concept. We would recommend that you continue your search for persons of experience and managerial ability and proven capability. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper. Andrew has absolutely no qualities of leadership. The two brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, place personal interest above company loyalty. And Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude that would tend to undermine morale. We feel it our duty to tell you that Matthew has been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, definitely have radical leanings. And they are both registered high on the manic depressive scale. Now, one of your candidates, however, shows great potential. He's a man of ability and resourcefulness, meets people well, has a keen business mind, and has contacts in high places. He is highly motivated, ambitious, and responsible. We recommend Judas Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man. 
All of the other profiles, well, they're self-explanatory. We wish you every success in your new venture. Now, maybe that's how you think, well, that's probably how they would have rated me if my profile had been sent to Jordan Management Systems. Or maybe you kind of want to tend to rate yourself that way. But wait a minute. Look at that verse on the screen. Take your Bibles, grab one out of the pew, because I want you to be looking at those uh, this evening with me, because we're going to look in Matthew 4, and we're going to look again in Matthew 5. And I'm going to show you how these bridge together. But in Matthew 4, verse 19, catch this. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. He didn't say, come and follow me and try real hard to become a fisher of men. Come and follow me, and if you ever really qualify and get your act together, you'll be a fisher of men. Come and follow me, and I'll run you through the Jordan management systems. I'll send you to NBC, and if you pass with an A, you can be in the group. No. Jesus said, come, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. Now, there's an interesting thing here that the verb translated to make Poyeo is a very compound and complex word. It's really hard to find one word to really explain what this means. Make is close, but what it really means is that Jesus is saying, I'm going to do something. I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to create this. I'm going to bring it to pass. I'm going to cause it to be fulfilled. That verb poyeo has all of that in it. And it's important for us. Why do we need to know this? So that we won't try to make ourselves what God has called us to be. And, and, and it's good that you've come to Bible college. And it's good that, that you're learning and, and, and growing and, and, and that you've come to learn and, and to hone your skills and to become equipped because being equipped is what God calls people to do and calls us to do to become equipped. That's good. But God didn't send you to NBC for you to equip yourself. He sent you here so that you could allow him to equip you. Now, let me show you the, the difference. I've grown up fishing ever since I can remember. I mean, from a little bitty toddler, my granddaddy would put me in the boat, and we'd get out on the Tennessee River and catch big old catfish and stuff. And so I consider myself quite a fisherman. But I moved to Colorado. Colorado doesn't have Tennessee catfish. Colorado doesn't have Tennessee largemouth bass. Colorado has these things called trout. Where I come from, that's bait, man. Okay? But y'all get excited about them out here. And so I've been learning how to catch them. And to be real honest with you, I haven't been real excited about trout fishing. Wow, whoopee. Okay, a couple of weeks ago, a gentleman invited me and said, I want to take you to a lake where the smallest trout we will keep is 22 inches long and will weigh somewhere between 3 and 4 pounds. And the record out of that lake is 12 pounds. I want to take you and show you what trout fishing is really all about. Oh, man. I was as excited as a fat pig in sunshine. Man, I'm telling you, I couldn't wait to get there. So we got out in the boat, and, and you know, I'm watching him because he's grown up here. He's a Colorado fisherman. I make sure I use the same thing he uses. I go to the same depth he uses. I'm using the same size hook. I'm using worms. I'm doing everything. I'm watching. I'm watching how far he casts out from the boat. I do everything he does. Man, within five minutes, boom! Man, he pulls in a 30-inch trout. That thing was humongous. I, whoo, doggies. I was getting excited. He turned and looked at me because he got to think, bring it in, son. Oh, come on. That's a hog. Whoa. He goes, 
I never heard anybody talk to the fish when they're bringing this. I'm from Tennessee. What can I say? <laughs> you know? But I was excited, man. You know, and, and pretty soon, about 10 minutes later, he's got another bite. And my cork is just sitting there. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't get it. I'm doing everything he's doing. I was trying so hard to be a fisherman like him. Well, after about 30 minutes or so, he comes over to my end of the boat, and he says, reel your line in. I said, okay, thanks. I reeled it in. I thought, well, I'll find out what I did wrong. He reaches in his pocket, pulls out this little squirt bottle. And it's the thing on the thing that says gulp, G-U-L-P. And it had a fancy name, but what it really was was worm juice, okay? And he's squirting this stinky worm juice, which you do not want to squirt in the wind, okay? You understand what I'm saying? So, and, and I threw that, and man, within five minutes, I brought in a 24-inch trout. Oh, doggies. It's a big difference when you know what the bait's supposed to be. And you see, I have a feeling, the Bible doesn't tell us this, but when, when he called Peter and, and John and, and, and Andrew and these guys that fished for a living, and he said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. I can hear Peter now. You got the right dude, boy. I am one tough fisherman. You know, I mean, really, think about it. All the things we learned about Peter before. Oh, Peter saying to himself, piece of cake. He wasn't really hearing the call. You see, God doesn't call us because we're great fishermen. God doesn't call us because of our talents, gifts, and abilities. Oh, he will use them. But God calls them because he knows that when we surrender our life to him, we're going to go through a transforming, life-changing, supernatural, super-duper work of God that's going to make us the best we've ever been in our lives and enable us to do what we would never have been able to do if God had not come on the scene. Amen? Amen. It's all about what God is going to do and how he is going to make us fishers of men. Well, as I was thinking about this, I couldn't help but think, you know, I know how Peter was be thinking. Well, you know, maybe, maybe Jesus really does know more about fishing than I do before it was all over with because you remember after the resurrection, you know, they're not sure what to do next. And so they, Peter says, I'm going fishing. A bunch of guys get in the boat and go fishing with them. They fish all night long and they don't catch anything. Jesus comes along the shore, they're coming, hey, hey, guy, hey, boys, you got any fish? No, man, we fished all night, didn't get anything. Throw your nets on the right side of the boat. I imagine Peter thinking, well, don't you think I've fished on both sides of the boat? I mean, give me a break. Come on, Peter, what you got to lose? Okay. And then you know what happened. I love that story in John 21. I love it as a pastor. I used to love it when the little preschool kids would come in and sing it. Then them boats was filled with fishes. <laughs> right? And they can't even haul the thing in. How did Jesus know that? Because the one who called you created the sea. And the fish that are in the sea. And everything that's all around them. And you. And who knows better than Jesus what you could really do and be if you totally surrendered your life to him. And this is what these guys have got to figure out. Come and follow me, not with all you have in terms of what you're going to do for me, but come and follow me and watch what I make of you. I will make you fishers of men. But what do they look like? Well, as I was studying and thinking about this, I just happened to notice, it's interesting, isn't it, that we know that Jesus went about preaching and he was healing and doing good deeds and, and being an exemplary leader and the disciples were watching this. But I find it interesting that the first full sermon that Matthew records for us is in Matthew 5. And in Matthew 5, what you have there 
are some principles to live by, but even more than that, the characteristics of the kind of people who become the bait that catch men. Because what they didn't realize was the reason they were going to be able to catch men was that what Jesus was doing in their lives would become the bait, the attractor that caused the world to want to have what they had and know who they know. Now let me show that to you. Turn with me now to Matthew 5. We call this the Beatitudes. We're somewhat familiar with it. But sometimes I think we don't really stop to think about how that practically breaks down in our lives and what that looks like. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, blessed are you when you reach the end of your rope and you're totally out of resources and you let God be God and what you have is all that he can give to you and his rule over your life. In other words, Matthew 5, 3 is about being absolutely and totally dependent upon God. Matthew 5, 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. In other words, you're blessed when you feel like you've lost the dearest thing to you so that the one who is really the dearest to you can comfort you in those moments. So that what happens is, not only are you comforted, but you're now given the ability to comfort others. But now there's something about this word blessed we need to stop and remember because Jesus uses a word that the common man was not used to hearing. For the word blessed, he used the word makurios. Now, that word means blessed or happy or of special favor, but it had been relegated to be used in poetry to refer to the happiness that only the gods up on Mount Olympus could have. No normal human being could have this kind of happiness. And by Jesus choosing to use that word makurios, what he is saying is, no, 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 when you know me, when you live like I'm telling you to live right now, when you let me make this kind of person out of you, you're going to know happiness beyond anything you've ever known. You're going to have abilities beyond anything you've ever known. You're going to be more than you ever thought you could be. That's what the be attitudes are really all about. When we let God do this work in us, and when we seek him as our absolute total source of happiness and fulfillment. Let's continue to look at them. Verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. In other words, you're blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more, no less. And that's the moment you find yourselves the proud owners of everything, because when you have Jesus, you have it all. Can I say it again? When you have Jesus, you have it all. That's why, ladies and gentlemen, the world will sit up and take notice, because in a discontented world, spirit-filled Jesus followers are living a life of contentment. And they want to know why. My daddy used to say to me, son, wherever you go, grin. Why, dad? It'll make people wonder what you're up to. Okay? So wherever you go, just imagine what could happen if you really let Jesus be your source of contentment. Because you'll not only be contented, but you will be rewarded. Matthew 5, 6. Look at it. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. In other words, you're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. His food and drink is the best meal you'll ever eat. And when you come to that place in your life, in a world that's hungering for meaning and fulfillment and happiness and joy that means anything at all, and they see it in you and they see it in your life, it's the bait that catches men. Verse 7, 
Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Jesus says you're blessed when you care. Isn't it great to be a caring person in a world that doesn't care? And at the very moment of being caring, you find yourselves cared for. Cared for and caring. Satisfied, fulfilled, contented, rewarded, comforting, comforting. That is a life that is so different from the way the world lives. And ladies and gentlemen, when we live that way, I'm telling you, the world notices. Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. To me, that's kind of like God on the inside and godly on the outside. For not only do I have the promise that I will eternally be in his presence, but I have the promise that he will shine through me so that, like Peter said, we'll be like bright and shining stars in the night. Matthew 5, 8 is a reminder to us that you're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and your heart put right. Then you can see God in you. Others can see God in you. And you can see God working in the outside world. Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. Then when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family, the peace that you have in your heart attracts and becomes a magnet, the bait for people who are looking for peace. Matthew 5.10 Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. Are you kidding me? No. Be excited. That means there's enough evidence to prove you're guilty of being a Jesus follower. Amen. Not a bad deal. I can think of a lot of worse things to be called. Wouldn't it be great for people to say, I can see Jesus in you, even if they do it from a negative point of view. Happy are you when you discover that Jesus is really shining through your life. You become the bait that attracts and catches men. Matthew 5, 11 and 12. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. I mean, if, you don't, if you're not a Jesus follower, those are really dumb words. Oh, I love persecution. <laughs> people like that you send to the funny farm, right? <laughs> Nobody loves persecution. But man, when you're going through a hard time because the glory of God's shining through you, because the holiness of Jesus is shining through you, because the reality of God is shining through you, it's worth it. Amen. You see, you're living like that great cloud of witnesses that's gone on before you, and like them you are saying as a Jesus follower, no price is too great. Amen. So this invitation demands a response. So listen carefully again to the invitation. Jesus, who will make you a fisher of men, who invites you to do that, is asking you not only to decide to follow, but you must be willing to follow for the reason he's asked you to follow. See, Jesus didn't say, well, come follow me, guys. For what, you know, whatever you want to do, <laughs> just, just come follow me, become part of the crowd. Or as, as Chaplin talked to us last night, just become a fan. I don't care if you don't really get in. Just, just come on. Just, just be part of the crowd. Like a lot of churches today, crowds but not congregations. Crowds but not folks committed, covered by the blood, filled with the Spirit, 
loving each other and loving the mission and living for the purpose. Easy to build a crowd. Only God can build a congregation. So he's asking you to follow, but he's asking you to follow for this reason. He wants to make you bait to a hungry world. Amen. Doesn't mean you have to be a pastor. You may be here as a Christian businessman or businesswoman. You may be here as a teacher. But the, whatever vocation God's leading you into, it's not just so you can be a good teacher, good preacher, good leader, good businessman. It's so you can be a fisher of people. So that God can do something in your life that makes people say, I want to have what you got. And can I tell you this? One thing for sure, if people are going to want to have what we have, we can't walk around looking like we've been baptized in pickle juice. So what's Jesus asking of you? I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to sing, I Surrender All. And just before we go home, as we're singing this, this is what I want you to understand. Jesus is saying, come follow me and let me make you fishers of men. He's saying to you, are you willing to be transformed by my justifying and sanctifying power? Are you willing to be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you think and act like I do? Are you willing to adopt the Beatitudes or biblical principles for godly living as I have taught and exemplified for you so that you can be what Paul said, imitators of God as duly loved children? He's asking you in this command and in this invitation to surrender the purpose of living an others-oriented life. It's all about what God wants to do in you and through you for others, not just about you. And how do you get all that? Because when I go to the next verses, Jesus said, because you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. And salt is the seasoning of the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit in our lives that makes those fish hungry and want to bite the hook. And light that shines through us is the light that shows them the way in a dark world so that lost people can come and take the bait. That's how I know that what this invitation is, is to let Jesus make you that kind of person. And if Jesus makes that kind of person, then what we just saw in Matthew 5 is the kind of people that we are. Amen. Here's the question. Is that the kind of person you are? Are you totally surrendered to that? I have decided to follow Jesus. I surrender all. Oh, Jesus, I surrender all to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him. It is Lord, 
that is not just a song for us, it is a prayer. And we think of great men and women of faith down through the years and those in Scripture who have set the example for us. And we want to be those kind of people because they turned the world upside down. They became the bait that caught the hungry fish that built the kingdom of God. And so we want to be like the Apostle Paul, whether we're in a palace or in a prison, we will be content. We will sing. We will shout of the mercies of the Lord. We will shine for Jesus like stars in the night. We will be salt that makes the world thirsty and light that shows the way. Because whatever else we accomplish in life really is very dull compared to the ability to be used of God to accomplish what it means to be a fisher of men. And so, Lord, we thank you for the call. We thank you for the invitation. And in the power of your spirit, we will follow. And the family of God said, Amen. God bless you. Have a good night. Go in his power.